Chapter Six of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter Six, The Commercial Room, Bull Inn, Leeds. Mister Samuel Dockrath was a little man with sandy hair, a pale face, and stone blue eyes. In judging of him by appearance only, and not by the ear one would be inclined to doubt that he could be a very sharp attorney abroad and a very persistent tyrant at home but when mr dockwrath began to talk one's respect for him began to grow he talked well and to the point and with a tone of voice that could command where command was possible persuade where persuasion was required mystify when mystification was needed and express with accuracy the tone of an obedient humble servant when servility was thought to be expedient we will now accompany him on his little tour into yorkshire groby park is about seven miles from leeds and as mr dockwrath had in the first instance to travel from hamworth up to london he did not reach leeds till late in the evening it was a nasty cold drizzling night so that the beauties and marvels of the large manufacturing town offered him no attraction and at nine o'clock he had seated himself before the fire in the commercial room at the bull had called for a pair of public slippers and was about to solace all his cares with a glass of mahogany-coloured brandy-and-water and a cigar the room had no present occupant but himself and therefore he was able to make the most of all its comforts he had taken the solitary armchair and had so placed himself that the gas would fall direct from behind his head on to that day's leeds and halifax chronicle as soon as he should choose to devote himself to local politics the waiter had looked at him with doubtful eyes when he asked to be shown into the commercial room feeling all but confident that such a guest had no right to be there he had no bulky bundles of samples nor any of those outward characteristics of a commercial gent with which all men conversant with the rail and road are acquainted and which the accustomed eye of a waiter recognizes at a glance and here it may be well to explain that ordinary travellers are in this respect badly treated by the customs of england or rather by the hotel keepers all innkeepers have commercial rooms as certainly as they have taps and bars but all of them do not have commercial rooms in the properly exclusive sense a stranger therefore who has asked for and obtained his mutton-chop in the commercial room of the dolphin the bear and the george not unnaturally asked to be shown into the same chamber at the king's head but the king's head does a business with real commercials and the stranger finds himself out of his element marshal sir said the waiter at the bull inn leeds to mr dockwrath in that tone of doubt which seemed to carry an answer to his own question but mr dockwrath was not a man to be put down by a waiter yes said he didn't you hear me say so and then the waiter gave way none of those lords of the road were in the house at the moment and it might be that none would come that night 
Mr. Dockwrath had arrived by the 8.22 p.m. down, but the 8.45 p.m. up from the north followed quick upon his heels, and he had hardly put his brandy and water to his mouth before a rush and a sound of many voices were heard in the hall. There is a great difference between the entrance into an inn of men who are not known there and of men who are known. The men who are not known are shy, diffident, doubtful, and anxious to propitiate the chambermaid by great courtesy. The men who are known are loud, jocular, and assured, or else in case of deficient accommodation, loud, angry, and full of threats. The guests who had now arrived were well known, and seemed at present to be in the former mood. "'Well, Mary, my dear, what's the time of day with you?' said a rough bass voice within the hearing of Mr. Dockwrath. "'Much about the old tune, Mr. Moulder,' said the girl at the bar. "'Time to look alive and keep moving. Will you have them boxes upstairs, Mr. Cantwise?' And then there were a few words about the luggage, and the two real commercial gentlemen walked into the room. Mr. Dockwrath resolved to stand upon his rights, so he did not move his chair, but looked up over his shoulder at the newcomers. The first man who entered was short and very fat, so fat that he could not have seen his own knees for some considerable time past. His face rolled with fat, as also did all his limbs. His eyes were large and bloodshot. He wore no beard, and therefore showed plainly the triple bagging of his fat chin. In spite of his overwhelming fatness, there was something in his face that was masterful, and almost vicious. His body had been overcome by eating, but not as yet his spirit, one would be inclined to say. This was Mr. Moulder, well known on the road as being in the grocery and spirit line, a pushing man who understood his business and was well trusted by his firm in spite of his habitual intemperance. What did the firm care whether or no he killed himself by eating and drinking? He sold his goods, collected his money, and made his remittances. If he got drunk at night, that was nothing to them, seeing that he always did his quota of work the next day. But Mr. Moulder did not get drunk. His brandy and water went into his blood, and into his eyes, and into his feet, and into his hands, but not into his brain. The other was a little square man in the hardware line of the name of Cantwise. He disposed of fire-irons, grates, ovens, and kettles, and was at the present moment heavily engaged in the sale of certain newly invented metallic tables and chairs lately brought out by the Patent Steel Furniture Company, for which Mr. Cantwise did business. He looked as though a skin rather too small for the purpose had been drawn over his head and face, so that his forehead and cheeks and chin were tight and shiny. His eyes were small and green, always moving about in his head, and were seldom used by Mr. Cantwise in the ordinary way. At whatever he looked, he looked sideways. It was not that he did not look you in the face— but he always looked at you with a sidelong glance, never choosing to have you straight in front of him. And the more eager he was in conversation, the more anxious he might be to gain his point, 
the more he averted his face and looked askance so that sometimes he would prefer to have his antagonist almost behind his shoulder and then as he did this he would thrust forward his chin and having looked at you round the corner till his eyes were nearly out of his head he would close them both and suck in his lips and shake his head with rapid little shakes as though he were saying to himself ah sir you're a bad un a very bad un his nose for i should do mr cantwise injustice if i did not mention this feature seemed to have been compressed almost into nothing by that skin-queezing operation it was long enough taking the measurement down the bridge and projected sufficiently counting the distance from the upper lip but it had all the properties of a line it possessed length without breadth there was nothing in it from side to side if you essayed to pull it your fingers would meet when i shall have also said that the hair on mr cantwise's head stood up erect all round to the height of two inches and that it was very red i shall have been accurate enough in his personal description that mr moulder represented a firm good business doing tea coffee and british brandy on a well-established basis of capital and profit the travelling commercial world in the north of england was well aware no one entertained any doubt about his employers hubbles and grease of houndsditch hubbles and grease were all right as they had been any time for the last twenty years but i cannot say that there was quite so strong a confidence felt in the patent steel furniture company generally or in the individual operations of mr cantwise in particular the world in yorkshire and lancashire was doubtful about metallic tables and it was thought that mr cantwise was too eloquent in their praise mr moulder when he had entered the room stood still to enable the waiter to peel off from him his greatcoat and the large shawl with which his neck was enveloped and mr cantwise performed the same operation for himself carefully folding up the articles of clothing as he took them off then mr moulder fixed his eye on mr dockwrath and stared at him very hard who's the party james he said to the waiter speaking in a whisper that was plainly heard by the attorney a gentleman by the eight twenty two down said james commercial asked mr moulder with angry frown uh, he says so himself anyways said the waiter gammon replied mr moulder who knew all the bearings of a commercial man thoroughly and could have put one together if he were only supplied with a little bit say the mouth as professor owen always does with the dodos mr moulder now began to be angry for he was a stickler for the rights and privileges of his class and had an idea that the world was not so conservative in that respect as it should be mr dockwrath however was not to be frightened so he drew his chair a thought nearer to the fire took a sup of brandy and water and prepared himself for war if war should be necessary cold evening sir for the time of year said mr moulder walking up to the fireplace and rolling the lumps of his forehead about in his attempt at a frown in spite of his terrible burden of flesh mr moulder could look angry on occasions but he could only do so when he was angry he was not gifted with the command of his facial muscles yes said mr dockwrath not taking his eyes from off the leeds and halifax chronicle 
it is coldish waiter bring me a cigar this was very provoking as must be confessed mr bolder had not been prepared to take any step towards turning the gentleman out though doubtless he might have done so had he chosen to exercise his prerogative but he did expect that the gentleman would have acknowledged the weakness of his footing by moving himself a little toward one side of the fire and he did not expect that he would have presumed to smoke without asking whether the practice was held to be objectionable by the legal possessors of the room mr dockwrath was free of any such pusillanimity waiter he said again bring me a cigar do you hear the great heart of moulder could not stand this unmoved he had been an accustomed visitor to that room for fifteen years and had always done his best to preserve the commercial code unsullied he was now so well known that no one else ever presumed to take the chair at the four o'clock commercial dinner if he were present it was incumbent on him to stand forward and make a fight more especially in the presence of cantwise who was by no means stanch to his order cantwise would at all times have been glad to have outsiders in the room in order that he might puff his tables and if possible effect a sale a mode of proceeding held in much aversion by the upright old-fashioned commercial mind sir said mr moulder having become very red about the cheeks and chin i and this gentleman are going to have a bit of supper and it ain't accustomed to smoke in commercial rooms during meals you know the rules no doubt if you're commercial yourself as i suppose you are seeing you in this room now mr moulder was wrong in his law as he himself was very well aware smoking is allowed in all commercial rooms when the dinner has been some hour or so off the table but then it was necessary that he should hit the stranger in some way and the chances were that the stranger would know nothing about commercial law nor did he so he merely looked mr moulder hard in the face but mr cantwise knew the laws well enough and as he saw before him a possible purchaser of metallic tables he came to the assistance of the attorney i think you are a little wrong there mr moulder ain't you said he wrong about what said moulder turning very sharply upon his base-minded compatriot well as to smoking it's nine o'clock and if the gentleman i don't care a brass farthing about the clock said the other but when i'm going to have a bit of steak with my tea in my own room i chooses to have it comfortable goodness me mr moulder how many times have i seen you sitting there with a pipe in your mouth and half a dozen gents eating their teas the while in this very room the rule of the case i take it to be this when bother your rules well it was you spoke of them the question i take to be this said mr moulder now emboldened by the opposition he had received has the gentleman any right to be in this room at all or has he not is he commercial or is he miscellaneous that's the chat as i take it you're on the square there i must allow said cantwise james said moulder appealing with authority to the waiter who had remained in the room during the controversy and now mr moulder was determined to do his duty and vindicate his profession let the consequences be what they might james says that gentleman commercial or is he not it was clearly necessary now that mr dockwrath himself should take his own part and fight his own battle 
"'Sir,' said he, turning to Mr. Moulder, "'I think you'll find it extremely difficult to define that word. "'Extremely difficult. "'In this enterprising country all men are more or less commercial.' "'Hear, hear,' said Mr. Cantwise. "'That's gammon,' said Mr. Moulder. "'Gammon it may be,' said Mr. Dockrath, "'but nevertheless it's right in law. "'Taking the word in its broadest, strictest, and most intelligible sense, "'I am a commercial gentleman.' and as such i do maintain that i have a full right to the accommodation of this public room that's very well put said mr cantwise white thundered out mr moulder as though he imagined that that functionary was down the yard at the tap-room instead of standing within three feet of his elbow is this gentleman a commercial or is he not because if not then i'll trouble you to send mr crump here my compliments to mr crump and i wish to see him now mr crump was the landlord of the bull inn uh, master's just stepped out down the street said james why don't you answer my question sir said moulder becoming redder and still more red about his shirt collars the gent said as how he was marshal said the poor man was i to go to contradict a gent and tell him he wasn't when he said as how he was if you please said mr dockwrath we will not bring the waiter into this discussion i asked for the commercial room and he did his duty in showing me to the door of it the fact i take to be this in the south of england the rules to which you refer are not kept so strictly as in these more mercantile localities i've always observed that said cantwise i travelled for three years in devonshire somersetshire and wiltshire said moulder and the commercial rooms were as well kept there as any i ever see i alluded to surrey and kent said mr dockwrath they're uncommonly miscellaneous in surrey and kent said cantwise there's no doubt in the world about that if the gentleman means to say that he's come in here because he didn't know the custom of the country i've no more to say of course said moulder and in that case i for one shall be very happy if the gentleman can make himself comfortable in this room as a stranger and i may say guest paying his own trot of course and as for me i shall be delighted said cantwise i never did like too much exclusiveness what's the use of bottling oneself up that's what i always say besides there's no charity in it we gents as are always on the road should show a little charity to them as ain't so well accustomed to the work at this allusion to charity mr moulder snuffled through his nose to show his great disgust but he made no further answer mr dockwrath who was determined not to yield but who had nothing to gain by further fighting bowed his head and declared that he felt very much obliged whether or no there was any touch of irony in his tone mr moulder's ears were not fine enough to discover so they now sat round the fire together the attorney still keeping his seat in the middle and then mr moulder ordered his little bit of steak with his tea with the gravy in it james he said solemnly and a bit of fat and a few slices of onion thin mind put on raw not with all the taste fried out and tell the cook if she don't do it as it should be done i'll be down into the kitchen and do it myself you'll join me cantwise eh well i think not i dined at three you know dined at three what of that a dinner at three won't last a man for ever you might as well join me no i think not 
have you got such a thing as a nice red herring in the house james uh, get one round the corner sir do there's a good fellow and i'll take it for a relish with my tea i'm not so fond of your salads three times a day they heat the blood too much bother grunted moulder and then they went to their evening meal over which we will not disturb them the steak we may presume was cooked aright as mr moulder did not visit the kitchen and mr cantwise no doubt made good play with his unsubstantial dainty as he spoke no further till his meal was altogether finished did you ever hear anything of that mr mason who lives near bradford asked mr cantwise addressing himself to mr moulder as soon as the things had been cleared from the table and that latter gentleman had been furnished with a pipe and a supply of cold without i remember his father when i was a boy said mr moulder not troubling himself to take his pipe from his mouth mason and martock and the old jury very good people they were too he's decently well off now i suppose isn't he said cantwise turning away his face and looking at his companion out of the corners of his eyes i suppose he is that place there by the roadside is all his own i take it have you been at him with some of your rusty rickety tables and chairs mr Bowley? you forget that there is a gentleman here who won't understand that you are at your jokes i was doing business at groby park but i found the party uncommon hard to deal with then complete the transaction well no not exactly but i intend to call again he's close enough himself is mr mason but his lady mrs m lord love you mr moulder that is a woman she is is she as for me i never have none of those private dealings it don't suit my book at all nor it ain't what i've been accustomed to if a man's wholesale let him be wholesale and then having enunciated this excellent opinion with much energy he took a long pull at his brandy and water very old-fashioned mr moulder said cantwise looking round the corner then shutting his eyes and shaking his head maybe said moulder and yet none the worse for that i call it hawking and peddling that going round the country with your goods on your back it ain't trade and then there was a lull in the conversation mr cantwise who was a very religious gentleman having closed his eyes and being occupied with some internal anathema against mr moulder uh, begging your pardon sir i think you were talking about one mr mason who lives in these parts said dockwrath exactly joseph mason esquire of groby park said mr cantwise now turning his face upon the attorney i suppose i shall be likely to find him at home to-morrow if i call uh, certainly sir certainly leastwise i should say so any personal acquaintance with mr mason sir if so i meant nothing offensive by my allusion to the lady sir nothing at all i can assure you the lady is nothing to me sir nor the gentleman either only that i have a little business with him shall be very happy to join you in a gig sir to-morrow as far as groby park or fly if more convenient i should only take a few patterns with me and they're no weight at all none in the least sir they go on behind and you wouldn't know it sir to this however mr dockwrath would not assent as he wanted to see mr mason very specially he should go early and preferred going by himself uh, no offence i hope said mr cantwise none in the least said mr dockwrath 
and if you would allow me sir to have the pleasure of showing you a few of my patterns i am sure i should be delighted this he said observing that mr boulder was sitting over his empty glass with the pipe in his hand and his eyes fast closed i think sir i could show you an article that would please you very much you see sir that new ideas are coming in every day and wood sir is altogether going out altogether going out as regards furniture in another twenty years sir there won't be such a thing as a wooden table in the country unless with some poor person that can't afford to refurnish believe me sir iron's the thing nowadays and indian rubber said dockwrath yes indian rubber's wonderful too are you in that line sir well no not exactly it's not like iron sir you can't make a dinner-table for fourteen people out of indian rubber that will shut up into a box three six by two four deep and two six broad why sir i can let you have a set of drawing-room furniture for fifteen ten that you've never seen equal in wood for three times the money ornamented in the tastiest way sir and fit for any lady's drawing-room or boudoir the ladies of quality are all getting them now for their boudoirs there's three tables eight chairs easy rocking-chair music-stand stool to match and pair of stand-up screens all gilt in real louis quatorze and it goes in three boxes four two by two one and two three think of that sir for fifteen ten and the boxes in then there was a pause after which mr cantwise added if ready money the carriage paid and then he turned his head very much away and looked back very hard at his expected customer i am afraid the articles are not in my line said mr dockwrath it's the tastiest present for a gentleman to make to his lady that has come out since since those sort of things have come out at all you'll let me show you the articles sir it will give me the sincerest pleasure and mr cantwise proposed to leave the room in order that he might introduce the three boxes in question they would not be at all in my way said mr dockwrath the trouble would be nothing said mr cantwise and it gives me the greatest pleasure to make them known when i find any one who can appreciate such undoubted luxuries and so saying mr cantwise skipped out of the room and soon returned with james and boots each of the three bearing on his shoulder a deal box nearly as big as a coffin all of which were deposited in different parts of the room mr boulder in the meantime snored heavily his head falling on to his breast every now and again but nevertheless he held fast by his pipe mr cantwise skipped about the room with wonderful agility unfastening the boxes and taking out the contents while joe the boots and james the waiter stood by assisting they had never yet seen the glories of these chairs and tables and were therefore not unwilling to be present it was singular to see how ready mr cantwise was at the work how recklessly he threw aside the whitey-brown paper in which the various pieces of painted iron were enveloped and with what a practised hand he put together one article after another first there was a round loo table not quite so large in its circumference as some people might think desirable but nevertheless a round loo table the pedestal with its three claws was all together with a knowing touch mr cantwise separated the bottom of what looked like a yellow stick and lo there were three legs which he placed carefully on the ground 
then a small bar was screwed on to the top and over the bar was screwed the leaf or table itself which consisted of three pieces unfolding with hinges these when the screw had been duly fastened in the centre opened out upon the bar and there was the table complete it was certainly a tasty article and the pride with which mr cantwise glanced back at it was quite delightful the top of the table was blue with a red bird of paradise in the middle and the edges of the table to the breadth of a couple of inches were yellow the pillar was also yellow as were the three legs it's the real louis quatorze said mr cantwise stooping down to go on with table number two which was as he described it a chess having the proper number of blue and light pink squares marked upon it but this also had been made louis quatorze with reference to its legs and edges the third table was a sofa a proper shape but rather small in size then one after another he brought forth and screwed up the chairs stools and sundry screens and within a quarter of an hour he had put up the whole set complete the red bird of paradise and the blue ground appeared on all as did also the yellow legs and edgings which gave to them their peculiarly fashionable character there said mr cantwise looking at them with fond admiration i don't mind giving a personal guarantee that there's nothing equal to that for the money either in england or in france they are very nice said mr dockwrath when a man has had produced before him for his own and sole delectation any article or articles how can he avoid eulogium mr dockwrath found himself obliged to pause and almost feared that he should find himself obliged to buy nice i should rather think they are said mr cantwise becoming triumphant and for fifteen ten delivered boxes included there's nothing like iron sir nothing you may take my word for that they're so strong you know look here sir and then mr cantwise taking two of the pieces of whitey brown paper which had been laid aside carefully spread one on the centre of the round table and the other on the seat of one of the chairs then lightly poising himself on his toe he stepped on to the chair and from thence on to the table in that position he skilfully brought his feet together so that his weight was directly on the leg and gracefully waved his hands over his head james and boots stood by admiring with open mouths and mr dockwrath with his hands in his pockets was meditating whether he could not give the order without complying with the terms as to ready money look at that fourth strength said mr cantwise from his exalted position i don't think any lady of your acquaintance sir would allow you to stand on her rosewood or mahogany loo table and if she did you would not like to adventure it yourself but look at this for strength and he waved his arms abroad still keeping his feet skilfully together in the same exact position at that moment mr boulder awoke so you've got your iron traps out have you said he what you're there are you upon my word i'd sooner you than me i certainly should not like to see you up here mr boulder i doubt whether even this table would bear five-and-twenty stone joe lend me a shoulder there's a good fellow and then mr cantwise bearing very lightly on the chair descended to the ground without accident now that's what i call gammon said boulder what is gammon mr boulder said the other beginning to be angry it's all gammon the chairs and tables is gammon 
and so is the stools and the screens mr moulder i didn't call your tea and coffee and brandy gammon you can't and you wouldn't do any harm if you did hubbles and grease are too well known in yorkshire for you to hurt them but as for all that show-off and jim-crack work i tell you fairly it ain't what i call trade and it ain't fit for a commercial room it's gammon 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 james give me a bed-candle and so mr moulder took himself off to bed i think i'll go too said mr dockwrath you'll let me put you up the set eh said mr kantwise well i'll think about it said the attorney i'll not just give you an answer to-night good-night sir i'm very much obliged to you and he too went leaving mr kantwise to repack his chairs and tables with the assistance of james the waiter End of chapter six of orley farm by anthony trollope recording by leonard wilson of springfield ohio